Thanks so much, uh, Michelle uh, and Julie. Um, it's great to have... Um, oh, wow, how did that happen? That's a bit awkward. Uh, see, I'm going to run to the back and just fix that up, I think. Actually, Steve, can you do that? You'll probably have to jump out, mate, and find the slide and come forward. Magic will happen while we talk for a second, like nothing's happening. Um, it's, it's, worth, uh, it's worth saying, it's great to have heard the whole story uh, together. I think that's really helpful for us and uh, for those who are able to read for us to bring it to us with such clarity. Thanks, guys. You're awesome. Um, I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us to take this ancient story and think about what it means for us right here in Oran Park today. So let's pray. Uh, Dear God, thank you so much uh, for preserving this story of Jonah. I pray, Lord, that you might open our hearts, unstop our ears, that your Holy Spirit may speak to us and challenge us so that, Father, we might take your heart into the city around us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. All righty. Well, uh, I've got some some ways to structure how we're going to do today. We're going to go through each chapter of Jonah one at a time. I've got a question that I think sits above each of these chapters, and then we'll dive in and look at each uh, each chapter in detail. As we do that, I want to sort of uh, suggest to you that this story does connect with the reality around you, and I'll give you a little bit of history for each chapter as well. So that's our structure. How I want to start today, I think we can often say to ourselves, I wish God would make himself clearer. Has anyone had this thought? Hey God, what do you want me to do? I really wish that you would make yourself clearer. If only you would be clear, I would know what to do with my life. I don't know what to do next, but if you made yourself clearer, God, I'm, I'm ready. Anyone had this thought? I've certainly had this thought. Uh, and I think that uh, we have to be careful about this wish, if I can say that. Uh, because Jonah was someone for whom God made himself very clear. Yes? Have a look with me at Jonah 1, 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. Is that clear? Is anyone lacking in understanding as to what Jonah should do? All right, here's Jonah's response. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. It's intriguing, isn't it? Dear God, make yourself abundantly clear to me and I will do it. God is abundantly clear to Jonah and his decision is, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That, that's the premise that sets up the whole of this story today. And I want to show you where it fits in our Bible timeline. So Old Testament, New Testament here. Here's us up the end there before the new creation and Jesus' return in judgment. Jonah fits in about here where the kings are in Israel. Uh, we actually see him turn up outside of the book of Jonah in two kings. And we see him talking to this king, Jeroboam II, And he brings a word in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Great name for a city, incidentally. This puts us around 780 to 750 BC, which is when Jeroboam II ruled. Why do I tell you that? Because I think we are so familiar with the book of Jonah in our kids' Bibles. Yes, some of us are anyway that we've decided it's all about smiling whales and cannot have any possible connection with the real world. Yes? Well, here it is. This is a real king and Jonah is a real person from an actual place, however bizarrely named. Where are these places that were mentioned here? 
Well, Jerusalem is there. That's our sort of orientation to modern day Israel. When God speaks to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is across there in sort of northern Iraq, uh, southeastern Turkey. That's kind of where Nineveh is up there. Okay. Jonah runs away to a place called Joppa where he hops on a boat headed for Tarshish. Now, you guys all know where Tarshish is, don't you? Of course you don't, which is why we've got a map up here. Tarshish, we speculate, we speculate, is across the sea, whole of the Mediterranean in modern-day Spain. Now, just so we're clear, that would literally be the end of the earth if you're somebody who lives in Israel. So Jonah's decision is, I'm going to go as far as it is geographically possible for me to go to get away from what you are asking me to do, God. And so here they are, Tarshish, over there somewhere. Nineveh, a long way away from Jerusalem, Joppa, closer, get me on a boat and get me out of here. Why would Jonah be so against going to Nineveh? Well, Nineveh and the kings of Assyria that it was a part of were historically terrible people. So this is his journey, Joppa, back to the land, and then he will go across to Nineveh there. The, the people in Nineveh were appalling people, smart, organized very sophisticated, but also appalling. You probably can't see this picture here very well, but what it does is it has Assyrian soldiers impaling people on huge spikes that they are setting up. They would chop the heads off their enemies and make pyramids of them. The king of Assyria would take his enemy commander in a battle, flay him alive, and then burn him, cut him up, and distribute his pieces across the nation. They were a terrible nation. In fact, uh, God actually has a, a prophet. In your Bibles today, we have a prophet called Nahum, who prophesies specifically against Assyria. And uh, in, it's a bit later than Jonah here, but in Nahum 3.19, we see this. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. This is him saying to Assyria, you're in big trouble from God. All who hear news about you clap their hands at your fall, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? So when judgment was being proclaimed against Assyria, the idea was the whole world would be standing around going, yeah, because they were renowned for being endlessly cruel. So when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I would like you to go to Nineveh, Jonah's like, uh-uh. There is something else that needs to happen to Assyria, and it is not me going to it, okay? So I'm out of here, God. I will have nothing to do with this. I am going. I am departing as quickly as I possibly can. Well, let's observe some things from chapter 1. First thing I want you to do is to see in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, In our series, we've been looking at God on mission in the Old Testament. Have we heard before about a city's wickedness coming up before God? Can anyone remember in this series? Anyone? Sodom and Gomorrah are also in that category, absolutely. So Sodom and Gomorrah, terrible city. Their wickedness came up before God. How did that work out for them? If you don't know, have a read. It didn't work out very well. In fact, they were destroyed from the face of the earth. There's another city whose wickedness came up before God. And Jeff preached about that. Can anyone remember? Babel, the, the Tower of Babel, a city whose wickedness has come up before the Lord. And now we're told that the wickedness of the city of Nineveh has come up before the Lord. What are we expecting then? We're expecting God to press the smite button. 
on the divine control panel. That is what we are expecting because they are wicked and it is not a mistake. God will judge sin and wickedness. And, and this is really intriguing for us. We're in a very messed up world at the moment. We, we have people who think that they're good doing evil and people who are evil thinking that they're doing good. All sorts of things are messed up. Here's what I know. The God who is just will deal justly with wickedness. It will happen. Might not happen today, but God will not let injustice go unpunished. So what I want you to see here is God saw its wickedness. It's on his radar. He's paying attention. Second thing I want you to know is in verse 3 here, it says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, uh, is that going to be a very successful strategy to run away from God? Now, in fact, we find in chapter 1, that Jonah already knows that this is not going to be a very successful strategy. Have a look with me at verse 9. They get into a situation where he gets put under the pump to say who he is. And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So what did God make? Heaven? Okay, this is great. You guys got it. It's fantastic. Uh, how far would you have to go to get away from that God then? I, 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 I just make a very simple observation. Jonah's a little bit nutty here when he says he's going to run away from the Lord. Okay? Tarshish is never going to be far enough for the God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, is it? But he wants to run. They, they get to this situation where the boat's being rocked and, and everything's going crazy, and they, they draw lots, and the lot falls to Jonah, and they ask him, verse 8, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And why do they ask him the 20 questions? We want to know who your God is. Who did you offend that's caused this to be such a terrible day for us? Who did you offend? And look, I wonder, do you ever get, and this is kind of almost the, um, the uh, it's not quite, but it's almost the, um, the party questions, isn't it? Who are you? Where do you come from? What work do you do? You're not responsible for the party, but you get the idea. Uh, you're under the pump. Now, when someone says personal questions like that to you, who are you? What do you do? Do we ever, ever, does it ever come into our mind to say that we're children of the living God? It's incredible, isn't it? I'm very happy to tell you that I was, um, I was born in Sydney and I moved to Darwin and I, I live in Oran Park and I can tell you all sorts of things about what I do. But does God ever enter into my description when people ask me identity questions? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, we just don't do this, do we? We don't do this. Why don't you, you know, another situation like a, a work setting or a, or a gathering where someone says, why don't you introduce yourself? And we go, well, I'm this, this many years old. This is my family. This is what we do. Would we ever say that the defining thing about my personality, about who I am, is that I'm a child of the living God? I'll save you, I'll save you any, any thinking time. We don't do that, do we? I think that's a real shame. And I understand why we do it, but it's a shame, isn't it? Jonah here isn't ashamed, and he tells him exactly who he is and what he's done. Strange. Their response is to then go, well, if it's your fault, what do we need to do? Now, I've, I've got to share with you guys, I actually think secretly that Jonah has a little bit of a death wish. And I think the reason that he does is he really, really, really wants to get out of doing God's will. 
I don't think God tells him to throw him overboard. Are you with me? So Jonah says, I'm running to Joppa because I don't want to go to Nineveh, right? There's a big storm and he's about to, they're going, what should we do? And Jonah goes, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Why don't you just throw me overboard? Because that'll make sure that I absolutely never have to go to Nineveh, yeah? So what does he do? Well, they throw him overboard and then what happens next? Everything's calm. Everything's completely calm. And what do the, what do the pagans, the idol-worshipping pagans on the boat do when this happens? Have a look at me at verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Well, it's clear all of our boatload of gods didn't help us. We're going to bow down and worship Jonah's God, who we just threw into the sea. But um, we're going to worship his God. Because he's clearly the greatest God. And so even here in chapter 1, we see Gentiles, non-Jews, worshipping the God of Israel. Isn't that incredible? Amazing. All right. Second chapter. Uh, Coming up. I, I wish God would make himself clearer. I think our challenge then is to say, I, I, I want to, I said second chapter, I, I forgot a point I was going to make. Hey, um, Matthew 28, does anyone know this chapter of the Bible? It's at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. In Matthew 28, Jesus finishes his last words to his disciples. He finishes by saying something. Does anyone know what he says in Matthew 28? He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Was Jesus giving them tips for young players? Was he giving them some nice advice? He was commanding his disciples what they must do. I wish God would make himself clearer. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world and make disciples. Who's that for? It's for us, isn't it? It's for every one of us. Was it an idea? No, it was a command. I wish God would make himself clearer. He's commanded us to go and make disciples. How are you doing with that? I want to ask, where are you running to avoid giving the message of new life? Where are you running to avoid giving the message of new life? All right, chapter two. God, if you save me, then I'll. Anyone have one of these moments? It may have been in personal sickness and injury. It may have been in deep grief. It may have been being overwhelmed by pressure from work. But you've had one of those moments. I've certainly had these moments. Throw yourself flat on the ground and go, God, if you get me through this, then I'll. Anyone know this feeling? If you've never had this feeling before, come and talk to me. I'd like to know some things about your life. I think this is a human condition. God, if you, then I'll. Have a listen to Jonah in 2.7. In 2.7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. 
I finally turned back to you, God. When I worked out that it was all coming to an end, I decided, guess what? God, I'm, I'm on your side. I'm with you. Save me. Save me. Uh, it says that he sent a big shark. Yeah? I mean, a big fish. If you read the kids' books, um, it's always a whale, yes? The smiling whale. The really happy whale. I don't know where you go inside a whale. I don't know. I don't know where you go inside other fish either. It says big fish, by the way, not, not whale. Big fish. But they weren't really into, the Israelites weren't really into sea creatures, so it just means thing in sea. Here's a, here's a Mediterranean fish that I just thought was big enough, yeah? This is a basking shark. I don't think I've ever come across I just went big fish, Mediterranean. Here we go. This is what it comes up. Okay, so basking shark. Can you see the diver next to it? Okay, now here's what I'm saying to you. It was a basking shark. Rubbish. I've got no idea. The Bible doesn't tell me. I want, you, I want you to know there are big fish in the Mediterranean. And if someone was to go inside it for three days, it would still need a miracle. This doesn't prove anything. All I'm saying to you is there are large creatures in the sea. And the God who's able to calm a storm could send a large creature to look after Jonah. Let's have a look at some observations from chapter 2. I love that Jonah wants to run away to Tarshish to get away from God, but he knows he has prayer reception inside a fish under the earth. Are you with me? How awesome is that? God, I've got you on the phone. I know I'm inside the belly of a fish under the water, but you, you, you're the God of the heavens above, the earth. and the... It's incredible how faithful he is at that point, isn't he? God, you've got me. You hear me. You'll get me. Extraordinary, I think, in chapter 2. Secondly, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah is saying, I have gone beyond what is possible for humans to survive. I'm at the roots of the mountain in water under the ocean. I am beyond all human help and hope. And I can almost promise you that no Israelite would be able to swim. Okay? So he wasn't kind of doing backstroke and kind of praying to God at the same time. He was absolutely sunk to the bottom. He said, I got down to the roots of of the mountains under the, under the ocean. And he says, there, there, you, God, brought my life up from the pit. And what I want to say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus yet and your life is in the pit and you think, I do not know how I could come back to him. There is no depth you can sink to that he can't save you from. There is no depth you can sink to that he can't save you from. That's extraordinarily encouraging. Wherever you are right now, he can meet you there and save you. Thirdly, those who cling to worthless idols, it says in 2.8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. The God who is there loves everyone, even the idol worshipper. I do think idol worship is a great description. I actually think it would be good for most of uh, modern Christianity, actually. Just spelled a little bit differently. I-D-L-E, yeah? Idol worship. That, that, that we're not passionately involved, are we? Anyway, that's a little side. We're not passionately involved. We're idly worshipping God. We'll get around to it a couple of hours on Sunday morning. Thanks, God. We'll just check in. But here it says that those who worship idols, those who actually throw themselves prostrate between, before um, things of wood, he says, turn away from God's love for them. God loves even the idolater and wishes them to turn back. And we've just seen that happen up on the boat above Jonah. Fourthly in this, I just want you to see how utterly in command God is in this account. <laughs> Not only does God send the fish to swallow Jonah, 
God sends a fish to swallow him, to carry him, and then to vomit him onto dry land. I think this is a wonderful picture. Uh, unfortunately, it was a very tragic story just uh, the last couple of days of a, 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 a beached whale. Did you catch up with that? And I think they had to put it down last night or something. Anyway, here's the thing. Jonah's out at sea. He gets thrown into the water. The fish swallows him. That's all good. And then the fish navigates around. It could have vomited him out at any time, right? I don't know how tasty Jonah was, right? But it vomits him, it vomits him out at exactly God's place on dry land. He is returned to dry land. I just think that's wonderful grace of God. And it shows God is utterly in control in this story here. So uh, I said that we'd, we'd think about some of these statements. God, if you save me, then I'll. What I want to say to you this morning, and I want to do this carefully because some of you might have been quite foolish in the things that you pledged, but I want to ask, what have you vowed to God that you need to keep? What did you vow in a moment of desperation to God that you need to keep? I can honestly say that I don't know, but I reckon some of you right now do know, and I wonder if you should. Because he saved you. All right, does anyone know who this guy here is? Someone tell me. Someone call it out. Comey, James Comey, he's the head of the FBI. Former head of the FBI, thank you, very good. Helpful correction. Uh, right now, he's testifying before the, the Senate about um, what Trump did or didn't do. I'm not entering into the politics. But if you lose your job, right, okay, you're a pretty dangerous animal. I would think putting the head of the FBI offside is the most unwise thing I've ever heard in my life. But anyway, smarter minds than I are working on it. But, but what I want to ask you is, what would you do if you had nothing to lose? I reckon Comey's in exactly this position. He's got absolutely nothing to lose. And he's actually a very powerful person, I think. So what does it look like if you've got absolutely nothing to lose? In uh, Jonah 3.4, we see a man who got saved from the sea uh, has got nothing to lose. Uh, in Jonah 3.4, it says, Jonah began to go a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. See, in the end, God's word comes to, to, uh, to Jonah again. And, uh, and he goes to Nineveh. And Nineveh was indeed an impressive city. Here's a, here's a picture of the city of Nineveh. An impressive city. Do you remember at the end how many people it said were in it? 120,000. Just Googled it this morning. How many cities in Australia have more than 100,000 in them? Only 15 cities in Australia are bigger than Nineveh. Isn't that extraordinary? We're in 2017, we've got all sorts of reasons why technology enables us to build big cities, and there's only 15 cities in Australia today bigger than Nineveh was then. Big city, powerful city, powerful empire. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Can you see how obedient Jonah is now? He actually says in, uh, in verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What's he do? God, I was totally dead. You saved me, and so I will now obey you. Has anyone here been saved by God? Okay. In verse 4, we see Jonah began to go a day's journey into the city. A day's journey into the city. It took him a while to get into it. So big. A day's journey into the city, proclaiming. You listen, listen to his gracious message. Okay, This is his message of love and concern from the beating heart of God. You ready for this? 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Did everyone hear the love there? Strange, isn't it? I reckon that that actually was what God wanted to say and Jonah just had a very happy little tummy as he was doing it. Man, I'm loving this. If I have to go to Nineveh, I've got the whale sick off me, right? I'm walking through the city and I'm going, 40 more days and you're going down. You are going down. You got, the clock is ticking on you guys. You're going down. He's in the zone. He's loving it. So Jonah wanders around the city saying, you're all going down. You're going to be destroyed. Have you heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? I reckon God's got some of that up his sleeve. Can't wait to see what's going to happen here. I reckon that's what he's thinking. Something extraordinary happens in this chapter, and we cannot miss it. Have a look with me at chapter 3, verse 6. Oh, verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is absolutely extraordinary. What did he do? He chose to stop his arrogant rule. Where was he sitting? The place where he is God over his empire, really. First thing he does, he hopped down off his throne. He covered himself in sackcloth and you're going, is that kind of some sort of ancient cool going out gear or something? Sack's the worst material that you can find. It's itchy and horrible, and he put it on his clothing, and then he covered himself in ashes. No, that's not makeup. That's literally getting stuff from a fire and dust and putting it on your head. It's to say, I am dirt. I am worthless. And so, in this extraordinary way, he tells everyone to have a fast, in verse 8, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger, so that we will not perish. It's an incredible response to Jonah's proclamation. And then we see something even more extraordinary in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And at this point, if you're a Jewish audience, you're not sure what to do. Should we rejoice and go, they repented? How brilliant is that? Or should we go, bummer, I was really hoping that they'd get destroyed. We're torn. I want you to consider what true repentance looks like. The king in his finery gives it up for humility without presumption. Presumption, this idea, I I don't even know if doing this will make God do something else. So he sits there, isn't that a brilliant picture? He sits there in sackcloth and ashes and he says, I'm not even sure if God will be compassionate enough to save me, but I need to repent. I need to give up my pride and my arrogance. Can I say to you this morning, that is the heart of repentance. Hop off the throne, cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes, and do not think you're even owed forgiveness for doing it. It's brilliant. So what if you had nothing to lose? What if you had nothing to lose? First thing I want to say to you today, if you haven't made Jesus your saviour, 
Will we, be, will we humble ourselves to be saved? Will we humble ourselves? Will we hop off the throne of our own heart and go, God, this is rightfully your place, not mine. Take my life. Take my life and have mercy on me. And I think perhaps a little bit more disturbingly for those of us who are already Christians, I want to ask you, will we say the hard things to see people saved? See, why does the king repent? What's the message? I've got a life-enhancing option for you. Don't turn away from your gods, but if you like my God, you'll get on a little bit better. I'll give you some new morals. I've got a different book for you to read. I can change your Sunday routine a little bit and you'll have a happier life. And you'll say, I'm doing really well, thanks. I don't need it. But Jonah was unafraid to say, you will be destroyed if you don't turn. Brothers and sisters, those of us who know Jesus as Lord, I want to ask you, are you prepared to say the hard things, not to enjoy them, but that people might hear the seriousness of the message and turn and be saved? Do you sugarcoat the gospel in order to make sure that you're safe and not say it strongly enough so that they might be saved? There's a... uh, a fourth chapter here. Oh, sorry, I'll go back. <laughs> Let's have a cup of tea, uh, coffee. Um, when we're in the coffee shop, we kind of look at the world and we go, look, uh, so Trump's not doing a really great job at the moment. If I was in Trump's seat, this is what I'd be doing. Has anyone had this thought? This is what I'd be doing. Easy, right? I, I love the West Wing. Anyone here a fan of the West Wing? Brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, the West Wing shows me if you sit in that chair... The world is so much more complex than you thought it was. The coffee shop solution that says, hey, we should just, why don't they just? If you go sit in that room, it's absolutely incredibly difficult. And so when we say, God, how could you let this happen? I think we are sitting in the coffee shop offering opinions to the God who's sitting in the West Wing. Incidentally, God doesn't sit in the West Wing. He's not political and he doesn't necessarily love America more than any other nation. Are we clear? Okay, good. All right. You get the idea though, yes? You get the idea. So God, how could you let this happen? This is exactly what Jonah thinks in verses two to three. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to foresaw by going to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that about you. Oh, here's the vine. Castor oil plant, apparently. That's the piece of information for you there. Here we go. For Jonah, it seemed to be very wrong. God, what God did was wrong. And Jonah decided, I'm the judge and arbiter of what should be right and wrong in this universe. And I'm telling you, God, you got this one wrong. Gee, we have to watch out for this presumption. We have to watch out for this arrogance in our own life. We have to watch out for judging the judge. Secondly, I think we have to be absolutely afraid that we could fall into the trap of Jonah who uses God's beautiful name as the basis for his accusation. I knew that you were a God of compassion, abounding in love and slow to anger. What does Jonah really want at that point? He wants a judge. What did Jonah want when he was in the belly of a fish? A merciful saviour. And right now, he's holding God to account for being a merciful saviour to people who repented when he enjoyed that grace himself. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful not to rush to wanting God to be judge and forgetting that we have needed and depended on his mercy ourselves. 
the Lord God wanted to teach Jonah a lesson, and so he gave him a plant. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. He seems like such a child, doesn't he? Can I encourage you? I'm going to stand with you for one second, and we're all going to have a laugh at Jonah. Isn't he funny? (laughs) He's such a child. This is us. And the joy of the Bible and the joy of the disciples in the New Testament is that we get to laugh at them because they're not us. And if we saw our own behavior, we would be just as petulant, just as judgmental. Yeah? Lord, have mercy. When we laugh in the Bible at others, I think too often it condemns us. And so God teaches Jonah, he says, look, here's a plant. And the plant grows up and he's very, very happy about the plant. Remember how, how amazingly in control God is. Fish, plant, storm, worm, wind. God's got this whole thing sorted out. It's, and then when Jonah gets angry at the plant, do you remember what he says? Do you remember I told you he had a death wish? I'm so angry I could what? Die. Yeah, Jonah. Go to your room, three-year-old. I'm so angry I could die. And then God kind of puts him on his lap, I think, and says this. Look, this, this plant, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? You're concerned for something you had nothing to do with and you, re- you resent that I saved these people. So how much more? This, you didn't have anything to do with this plant. I love and made these people. How much more should I be concerned for these people? What a beautiful picture of God it is. So when we say to God, God, You can't let this happen. I want to ask you this morning, who have you decided that God shouldn't save? Who's unworthy of his grace in your mind? Who would you gladly proclaim 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed to? Lord, have mercy on us. Soften our hearts. Help us to see again that we have been saved. Help us to pray for the forgiveness of those that we hate right now. In, uh, in Matthew, we've got to make the connection to Jesus. In Matthew uh, chapter 12, the Pharisees are, getting, uh, are attacking Jesus. It's on page seven, uh, 978. The Pharisees are attacking Jesus. And they they want Jesus to do a sign for them. Uh, Verse 38 says, Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. What he's saying is the sign of Jonah isn't a picture of a whale. Sign of Jonah is three things. Sign of Jonah is one day soon, God will raise up someone from the depths of the earth after three days. Who will that be? And the answer says, Jesus. The second part of the sign is these people, the people of Nineveh, are going to rise up. A Gentile, wicked generation will rise up and condemn faithful Israel because you guys aren't repenting when I'm speaking to you is what Jesus is saying. Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And we heard how good that was. These pagans, these wicked pagans repented. Now, faithful Israel, your king is standing in your midst and you're not repenting. 
woe to you, is what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus is saying, woe to you, you're rejecting a prophet greater than Jonah. That's the sign that's going to be given to you guys. Boom. We're talking about God on mission in the Old Testament. I want you to see that God is specific. He loves Israel. He wants to save Israel. But we've seen today, again, 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 again in the Old Testament, we see God. He's got a global passion. He saves the most wicked city in the ancient world. He has a passion for the Gentiles. I'm going to finish with this. The Lord God said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God sent Jonah to save the Ninevites. Well, we have concern for our great 90s. Oh, that's great. Love, love, love spell correct. It's great. Well, we have concern for our great city. There's the, there's the awesome impact of our uh, final statement there. I, I want to say our city around us, God was concerned for the Ninevites. Are we concerned for our city and for the growing Southwest? Brothers and sisters, we must be, not just as an option, but because we've been commanded. Let me pray. Dear God, I thank you for the saving message we see in Jonah. I thank you, Father, that even the most wicked can be shown mercy if they'll fall on their face in repentance. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to hear your command and not run to Tarshish. Help us to be people who will stand boldly for your son. Proclaim the message without compromise that we might see your mercy shown to those who deserve it, just like us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.